This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. While you're here, please make sure to like and subscribe. If you're listening to this on podcast, please make sure to follow the show. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm board certified in holistic nutrition. And I have a private practice where we focus on root cause healing, and that often starts with the carnivore cures all meat elimination diet. Our goal for our clients and our community is to get people to live their best lives, mostly symptom free. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Craig Emmerich. Most of you know Craig and Maria Emmerich as recipe creators. Craig is so brilliant in the science, and Maria knows a lot of science too. But Maria is obviously known for all her creative keto, carnivore, and PSMF and kid recipes. It was such a pleasure to sit with Craig and just chat with him about the science of carnivore and protein and even his journey. We talk a lot about What he's been going through and his journey on a ketogenic diet or a carnivore diet, and how he's still struggling with his health. He was so honest that I really grew so much more respect for him because he is just sharing as he is. And you can see that in this interview. He talks about some of the things he's passionate about, such as protein and carnivore, and how eating at a maintenance dose is so different than eating when you're trying to lose weight or reverse insulin resistance. There's just so much science to it and nuance for each individual person. He talks about the frustrations of how they are now being classified as protein sparing modified fast pushers, but that they are actually much more than that when they also have kid recipe cookbooks and keto cookbooks and even carnivore cookbooks. Craig Emmerich is the author of the best selling book, Keto. He also is an international speaker and educator. He's the owner of Keto Condo and KetoAdapted.com. Craig and his wife, Maria Emmerich, have written over 20 books and have been in the low carb carnivore keto space for over 20 years. Craig graduated and worked as an electrical engineer, but spent the last 15 years researching nutrition and working with thousands of clients alongside his wife, Maria Emmerich. We also talk beyond the science of what we see in our clinical practices. Craig and Maria have been around for a very long time. And While they share their N equals one and the science, they also see the stories that, of the people they work with. They see what happens when we hear things on the internet about fruit and honey or adding carbs and what it really does to their clients. We also talk about how high fat without the protein is not ideal, or high fat may not be ideal if you're trying to lose weight. We talk about hormones in that context as well. This is such a powerful conversation because it talks about how diet alone may not always be the answer. I hope that this conversation really just gives you a lot of real talk, which I know I mostly do on Cutting Against the Grain. But this conversation has been so enlightening to me about the realness that Craig and Maria share. And even though he doesn't feel his best some days, he's still wanting to help people and why he came on my channel to share his story, share about the importance of the diet and. What you need to truly heal. Okay, guys, let's get into the interview. 
Hi, Craig. I'm sure most people that are watching and listening to this know you, but I'm so excited to have you on and just chat with you. If you can introduce yourself for the people that are listening and watching. Well, thank you, Judy, for having me on. I really appreciate it. My name's Craig Emmerich. Most people probably know my <laughs> wife better, Maria. We've written about 20 some books oh. now keto, carnivore, uh, all of the different and protein sparing modified fast. We've gotten some, some books recently on that. We started, she started on this path like 23 years ago, uh, with her own health issues and found essentially keto, you know, low carb keto and saw big improvements in her health. And she started having everybody ask, what are you doing? And so it kind of you know built off of that it took me a little longer, like maybe four or five years to come around. Cause I've German background. I like to brew my own beer. So it was real hard for me to transition on some of those things. Uh, but I just felt better when I ate this way. So I, eventually I just said, you know what, I want to eat this way all the time. It's why, why should I feel crappy on the weekends when I eat whatever. Right. And so I've been eating this way for like 16, 17 years, wow. eating full keto. And we adopted our sons 10 years ago now, almost going on uh, 10 and a half years. And they eat what we eat. So, you know, and they're thriving and growing like crazy. But yeah, we get into a little more of our story uh, later. But, you know, at the time I had no health issues. And that's why I didn't transition it to this lifestyle like she did right away. But then about eight, nine years ago, I did start having my own health issues. And turns out I had Lyme disease. And then I actually had to take my diet kind of to the next level of carnivore. Let's actually talk about your health journey since it just came up. How did you get diagnosed with Lyme? Um, what happened there? Yeah. So yeah, I traced the initial symptoms right to around when we built our new home, which is on this beautiful piece of land, but it's, you know, like 40 acres of really old woods. And it was, there was quite a few ticks around oh, okay. and I was out there a lot. And I, you know, I can't trace it to one tick bite, but I know I had ticks on me quite a bit in that time. Uh, and didn't think too much of it. You know, we didn't take ticks were pretty common in our area in Wisconsin. So then I just started having this back pain in my lower back that I thought was an old football injury from high school because I have this damaged disc and it would like shooting pain down my leg or something. But it was more of a stiffness and soreness and it was always there. And it slowly moved up my back into my neck, my shoulders. And it got to the point, I think this is about six years ago now, where my son, who at the time I think was six, and he could throw a football farther than I could. I'm like, something's not right here. Like right. this, this is not normal. And I got a Western blot Lyme test, which I now know Western blot Lyme tests are like 80% false uh, right. negative, right? They say you're, you're negative, but you really do have Lyme. They're just not testing for it. Took another year or more to finally get the proper test done, found out I had Lyme disease. And then I started treatment protocols for that. And then what was the second test that you took? It was an Igenix. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Galaxy also makes a good one now. Right. So there's, those are probably the two, two best Lyme tests. Okay. And then after you did the protocol, did it help with your healing? So, you know, I've, I don't have a typical case okay. <laughs> uh, of chronic Lyme or a lot of these things. So first of all, I think what probably aggravated it to get to a worse state than it needed to is the fact that I've been eating keto and very low inflammation diet, you know, I always probably, even my keto back then was, you know, my vegetables were like some onions on my burger. And, you know, like I was very meat based even back then for all that time that I was developing these symptoms. I think I let it go so long because I was already eating this way and I was able to manage it and manage the pain much longer than I should have let it. We get clients all the time that just going to keto from San American diet really helps their Lyme pain, right? So I was that way the whole time, you know, I have been for like 17 years. And I think it made me, it was a blessing and a curse. It helped me manage the pain, but it also allowed me to neglect dealing with it uh, much earlier than I should have. So at a certain point, I'm hearing from you that you realized the diet alone wasn't enough to... Yeah. 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 So, I mean, what happened was then when I was properly diagnosed, I looked for everything to try to you know, fix my problems. Right. And I'm, I'm open to trying anything, you, you know, traditional and non-traditional. And I have done just about everything you can imagine. You know, I, I, I did the, you know, at the time, which 
it's really interesting how the space has evolved in, in their understanding of how to treat chronic Lyme and some of these conditions. Back then, it was hammer it with antibiotics, right? right? And that's, you know, like Klingheart. And you know, the, it was, uh, I was on three high-powered antibiotics taken simultaneously for nine straight months. And I didn't see any difference <laughs> myself. That was just one of the protocols. You know, I was doing uh, the Cowden protocol. I did all of that for nine months. I did uh, get cavitation surgery where my, I had infection in my cavities where my wisdom teeth are pulled. So they opened up the jaw, they scraped that out, put ozone in, had a, uh, a root canal pulled that also had an infection in it because Lyme can hide in infections yes. and in biofilms and those things. So I had all that done. I had, you know, I did some pretty aggressive uh, antiparasitic uh, protocols. There's so many, I, I can't even tell you how many treatments and things and and really nothing moved the needle much for me at all, traditional and non-traditional. And I always had high inflammation. That's originally how I figured out, okay, something's really wrong here is after the Western blot Lyme test said, no, you don't have Lyme, tried to figure out what, what it could be. I just went into a functional doctor. And I said, you know what? I understand a, a decent amount of bi about biology. Here's all the tests I want run. Just run all of these and I'm going to see if there's something here that sticks out. And pretty much everything was normal except my red blood cell counts for a little low. And my CRP was like 50. Wow. And I'm like, okay, there's a problem here. <laughs> you know, my inflammation is that high. Eating the way I do and the lifestyle I had, something's wrong. And that's when I finally got the, the good Lyme test done. But my inflammation's always been high. And so I think, you know, I mean, obviously I have no data on this, but I think what happened with me was Lyme triggered this you know, storm with my immune system and immune dysfunction that drove this chronic inflammatory response syndrome, SIRS, a type of environment in my body. And it went on for so long that it's triggered an autoimmune response, which mm. what's autoimmune? It's your immune system attacking good cells, right? And so since my immune system was like crazy, like attacking stuff, because it's got this, it was just on, like kind of like a long COVID is kind of similar. Mm -hmm. The immune system just doesn't shut down. It started attacking good cells. And now I have ankylosing spondylitis, uh, which is a, an autoimmune disorder that it's kind of like arth arthritis of the uh, spine and hips and a little bit shoulders and stuff. So most of my neck is now calcified and infused. And so uh, most of the vertebrae are fused together with calcium. And so I think that's kind of you know what happened in, in my situation. Well, one, thank you for sharing your story. It's hard because in the wellness space, and we're both in the same wellness space, and I think you bleed into so many more diets too, but you hear so much that diet fixes everything and that if you yeah. eat a low inflammatory diet, it fixes everything. And I'm sure you saw it too, but you work with some of the sickest people and you start questioning, actually, it's not fixing everybody fully. And yeah. I think it does a lot. Like there's no question yeah. that nutrition is so important, but I just, I think at a certain point, people have to realize sometimes it's beyond the diet and it can be environmental. And once your immune system is really on and inflamed and it can't stop that process, you have to do something. Otherwise it's going to start degradating the body and the mind. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's exactly the situation I ended up with. And again, I think the diet helped mitigate the symptoms enough to allow me to neglect it. Uh, but also even you know, five years ago, when I finally got the Lyme diagnosis, I went strict carnivore, because I knew people like uh, Charlene Anderson, who's been carnivore for like 20 plus years to deal with her chronic Lyme pain. So I, I knew about those stories. And that I just said, Okay, let's go. And it did help, you know, that even, you know, took my pain down a little uh, was more manageable with carnivore. But again, you got to address those root causes of those problems. Or, you know, it's just, it's not going to just go away with diet with some of these autoimmune and, and certain conditions. For some people, it might, you know, yeah. some people, you know, they can see full reversal of symptoms with autoimmune conditions with diet. Uh, but some it's not. And I think that's a really important message that has to get out there. I think there's a lot of people in this space that will kind of put that out there as just eat keto and everything will be fine, or just eat carnivore and everything will be fine. I even even at, and I, I'm not going to name any names, uh, uh, I'm not uh, here to do that, but I, I think it's important to understand, like at KetoCon this year, there was a panel and somebody asked about Lyme 
and one of oh, the okay. doctors, the the influencers in this space, said, "Well, if you just eat keto, you you'll be fine. You won't get Lyme." And I was like, "What? Oh my gosh! No, that's like I I just don't even know where to start with that. Like right. it's a it's a you know spiral key. It gets injected into you. It's not something that it's going to stop from happening, right? And then I, I even saw another influencer." that said that uh you know dr sarah halberg we're actually mm-hmm. we're friends with her, them and we were actually and it breaks my heart because we were trying to help her get a book written with right. victory belt shortly before she died and i heard some overheard somebody say and, and again another influencer said well if she just didn't eat plants she went to oh my cancer. gosh no and way it's that kind of thing number one that i mean you give people false sense of hope, right? Oh, yeah. I just eat carnivore. I won't get cancer or uh, this cancer will go away. It's those kind of things that I think is important to understand that it, this is not, you know, that's kind of like snake oil salesman, like just yeah. do this and fix everything. That's not what this is. It's a very beneficial thing for a lot of people, but it's not this magic pill. Well, I, I thank you so much for sharing this and it's so powerful. Emotionally, I see that all the time with my clients where they'll say, but so-and-so said they yeah. ate carnivore for 15 years and they fixed it. Why am I so broken? Or this other person did that. And I know how come it's not working for me. And then you start realizing, well, there's more to it than oftentimes the diet. Again, the diet is so important, but yeah. I think we need to have really honest conversations in the wellness space. A lot of these influencers aren't working with people individually, or exactly. they don't have that illness story then they have yeah. nothing to challenge them other than these sensationalized stories. I mean, people want to share just the healing stories, but there's a yeah. lot of people that don't. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a practice. If carnivore yeah. works so well, my book yeah. would sell, your cookbook would sell, and no one needs us, right? But, yeah, we wouldn't have a job. because right. just. But yeah, I, actually, in our keto book, okay. uh, it's just keto, the complete guide. Yes, yes, uh, I have it. Mm-hmm. The nutrition one. Oh, thanks. Uh, it, I think we wrote that six years ago. Okay. And one of the things that right in the beginning, I made this disease tree because okay. there are a lot of components, right? It's not just, uh, you know, the, the trunk of it is like insulin, insulin dysfunction is a, a good part of it. But, you know, the leaves, the end result are cancer, are you know, autoimmune conditions or, you know, all these problems, right? But the roots, the roots that drove this, yeah, nutrition is one of them, right. but there's light exposure, getting enough sun exposure, you know, common sense, sun exposure, exercise, you know, environmental things like, you know, my wife is amazing helping people with like cleaning out their environments and getting all the toxins and, you know, the scented candles and all these things that are in your environment that are just not good for your body either. You know, there's uh, not smoking or, you know, there's all these inputs, right? And all these inputs can lead to those outputs of disease and dysfunction but you know it's not a it's not a magic pill you know the diet's just one piece of it and there's a lot of things you might have to work through to see relief yeah full relief you know yes i think there's so much more to the body healing than just nutrition there's definitely nutrition we need the raw materials i think you guys do a great job of sharing how protein has so much of the nutrition and i think that's wonderful but there's more than that. It's also the way you view the world. I mean, when we view something and we are stressed and we think something is negative or it triggers a trauma response, we release more cortisol and that affects our entire mm-hmm. body. So there's so much more to it. And so I really, really applaud you for bringing this up because it it kind of goes against your brand in a sense, right? It keto carnivores, but you want to really help people and it shows because you're sharing your story of it's not going to fix everything. It's such a powerful tool but sometimes it's yeah. not enough. Exactly. It's you know, whenever we talk with clients or people who are interested, you know, a lot of times they'll comment and obviously be like, I have an XYZ condition. Will this fix it? And we're always very careful when we talk with them that yes, we would be happy to help you. Right. You know, here's some examples of what it can do and it can help you too. Not will like, you know, there's people say, yeah, this will help. You got to just got to do this and it'll all be gone. No, it can help. It can help some level. Maybe it's, you know, a little bit of relief. Maybe it's a lot of relief, but there's no will in this when it comes just to diet. There's, there's uh, definitely some improvement. I, I don't think there's any case where it's going to make it worse. <laughs> right. 
this right, this right. type of diet and lifestyle. I've never seen a situation where it's like XYZ condition and eating this way, it got worse. Even, you know, we prioritize protein and we can talk a lot about that, but yes. uh, even kidney disease, we see so many uh, on our page, we have the success stories area, client success stories. And we have a whole, I, I made a whole section on kidneys mm-hmm. and how people are at, you know, stage three kidney, kidney disease, and they go a whole nother one or two levels up on it with the kidney improvement, even though they're prioritizing protein, but it's the carbs they're cutting out. That's, that's helping with that. So if you weren't eating this diet, do you think all the symptoms you're having would actually be worse? So, you know, the flip side of it. Oh, I think, you know, eight years ago, whenever this nine years ago, when this started, I think it would have accelerated much faster. Okay. And, you know, maybe in a year or two, I would have been like, okay, this is unbearable. I got to do something about it. Um, right. And I think it's probably a little bit of psychological in that too, that, you know, I knew I was eating the way that would best help this type of thing. Right. Right. And so if I go to a doctor, what else are they going to tell me? Like eat, eat something else. No, I, I know enough about the science. I know the biology. I know I'm eating the right way, but a lot of times there's more than that. Like we're just just saying, there's more than diet. And I, I think that maybe tripped me up, you know, eight, nine years ago that I thought, well, I'm doing the right thing. So I'll just keep on this. But uh, yeah, I think it would have just accelerated things. You're now part um, doing a, I guess the SERS journey. Can you talk a little bit about that in your experience so far? And then what your, I guess your plan is with healing. So uh, yeah, I, one of the things about a, a year ago, I, I, started doing hyperbaric oxygen treatments oh, right. and they really helped lower my pain, especially my joint pain, like my hip pain. Uh, my left hip is pretty bad arthritic and it makes it really like the reason we started coming to Hawaii in the winters, fall and winter when the snow would start and the cold, right. it would get cold. I'd be on crutches around our house because my hip pain was so bad. And uh, he, in here in this climate, it's, it's much better. And so what I started doing hyperbaric, that hip pain was almost gone and even after a, one or two sessions. And so that opened my eyes like, oh, this is a, okay, this can help. And we actually got a soft hyperbaric chamber in our home. And I started doing it every day. And it got me to the point this summer where I was not taking any painkillers or anything to manage pain. I get through the day without anything like that. Um, and that was very helpful. But at the end of the day, I'm still not fixing the root cause, right? I'm still not fixing the chronic inflammation. I'm I'm helping inflammation a little bit with hyperbaric, but it's kind of like, it's just going to go back, you know, and I found that out here when we got here, uh, we don't have a hyperbaric here. We have a small condo mm-hmm. um, and it lasted about three, four weeks where I was, was still kind of the same. I didn't need any painkillers or anything to manage pain. And then it started to increase. And that was end of November. And by the end of December, I was basically back to baseline. Like I was in a lot of pain and I had to take a lot of stuff just to get through my day. We actually got another unit, a a little smaller sitting unit here Mm -hmm. for hyperbaric. And that's, I started doing that a week or so ago and it's starting to, starting to help again. But that's one thing that really helped. But again, I got to address the root cause. And that's why very thankful for you, Judy, hooking me up with uh, an amazing SIRS uh, doctor and, we're starting, we've been doing treatments for about three months for the chronic inflammatory response, just trying to get that immune function back into working properly. And and you talk to like Lyme specialists, a lot of them now have evolved to the point where they don't even worry about antibiotics or trying to kill the Lyme. They're worried about getting the immune function fixed so that the body can get rid of the Lyme on its own right. um, and shutting down that, you know, inflammatory response situation that comes with chronic Lyme where it's always on. Uh, working on immune, working on vascular uh, blood flow. Uh, those are those focuses now uh, for the, all the top Lyme doctors. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm taking some uh, peptides to help with blood flow and those kind of things. And I'm doing the, the treatment for SIRS. And then I'm also uh, considering stem cell treatment, although okay. that's not a cheap one. So I, 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 well, I'm not taking that lightly, but I've heard some of the research I've seen on it is pretty amazing for getting the immune function back, especially autoimmune conditions. So I'm considering that. Yeah, I think Tony Robbins wrote a book recently interviewing all the most famous, um, the future of medicine. And I think a lot of it's around stem cells. 
So I don't know yeah. if you've read that. I haven't looked into it too deep yet. Supposedly it has all the greatest, latest research, but yes, you need to be very wealthy um, is yeah. from my understanding, but. And there's been some, you know, cases too, of, uh, quite a few people that I've had reach out and, and talk to that uh, they have autoimmune disorder okay. and it, it, the stem cells kind of reprogram the immune wow. system and they actually are symptom free months and months later after that one treatment. So and there's definitely some promise there. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I would guess that it's not a magic pill. It's going to work a hundred percent for everybody. Uh, so, but you know, I've tried so much <laughs> at this point and I don't think one more thing's going to hurt to try. Uh, but it's just, yeah, the money is of course a big concern. I love that you're not giving up because I, I, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it too, but there's some people that we'll work with and it's just, I've worked with so many people, nothing works, or I've tried every single diet, nothing works. And yeah. I think that really affects people's ability to heal. Um, there's so many stories of people given like a death date with cancer, you only have a certain yeah. amount of time to live. And then you see them live beyond that because they have the desire of, no, I'm not going to die from that. Um, I think it was Lance Armstrong that had cancer in so many different parts of his body and he fought through it and he overcame it. And so I think there is so much in the mindset of the belief of I can heal and I will get over this that can bring so much healing. So I look forward to you being a colleague of mine for many, many decades to come. Thank you, Judy. I appreciate it. So I wanted to shift a little bit to the protein. So you talked about kidneys. One of the biggest fears in a carnivore, very heavy meat diet is if I eat too much meat, it will really affect my kidneys. My doctors are worried about my GFR or other kidney markers. Is there any truth to that? I don't believe there is not with, you know, reasonable whole foods diets. Okay. So for example, you know, if, if you're eating like multiple times a day, these like whey protein shakes and whatever, you're getting these huge amounts of, you know, refined protein. Okay. Maybe there's some issues there because that's about the only way you're going to get crazy amounts of protein in the diet. Right. I think that uh, the the important thing to start with is how much protein is too much, right? Right. Like that everybody throws around, you know, low protein, high protein, moderate protein. And and unless, until you put numbers on it, it's really all kind of meaningless. I I think what we recommend is moderate amounts of protein, you know, uh, typically we'll say, you know, at least 0.8 times your lean mass for, Mm -hmm. for protein goal for a day. So if a woman's, you know, 150 pounds, 33% body fat to make the math easy, that's a hundred pounds of lean mass times 0.8, that's 80 grams of protein. You want to get at least that much every day. I, I think that's pretty reasonable. Now it's hard to eat, you know, if you're eating two or three times that much protein in a day, okay, maybe that's too much. But if you're eating whole foods, try to get, you know, 300 grams of protein yes. in with the whole foods, it's going to be tough, you know? So again, that's why I say, I think in a reason, within reason and, and the way we uh, promote whole foods and all that, I don't think it's a concern at all. And, and the example we gave earlier, we've seen ton of, tons of people with kidney disease go the other direction, you know, eating this way, improves their markers, improves their kidney function. Uh, and, and one other thing I, w- I would say about that too is one of the things that kidneys do, kidneys are kind of like a muscle in that if you've been chronically eating low protein, you're going to, once you start eating proper amounts of protein, the kidneys will start to work more, but they're like a muscle, right? They're getting stronger and they're, you know, doing what they're designed to do, uh, and so, you know, mark blood markers might shift a bit mm-hmm. as your body adjusts and your kidneys get stronger and then they come back in line. Um, and it's really just the kidneys getting stronger like a muscle and, and learning how to, you know, handle a proper amount of protein again. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I interviewed Dr. Donald Lehman. He's into the whole amino acid protein yeah, uh, camp. Great. Yeah, he's uh, wonderful. And he talks about how, so I asked him this very similar question. And he's like, I've never seen it in a study that makes sense. And I don't believe that's true at all. If anything, if you consume too much protein, your liver or your kidneys might get bigger because you're maybe consuming so much in one sitting, but it will not be damaging your kidneys. It's probably something else related. Yeah, there's really been no study that points to the correlation of protein and kidneys. In fact, a lot of them point the other way. So why um, do you, why is there a correlation um, between it then? Well, there's, it, there's a lot of things in the healthcare community that they took X, Y and decided that Z was going to happen okay. in this situation all the time. You know, there's a lot of those things like, 
you know, you can go down the line of, you know, saturated fat leads to heart disease and, you know, those kind of things. It's just a flawed line of thinking based on maybe some questionable studies or examples. And then they just kind of get stuck in it. The one thing about the healthcare community is it's really hard to move them off of something. Like when they've got an idea that this is what happens, Oh, right. Get them to off of that, to think of a different way that it might be happening or to a different methodology. It's there. It's a glacial speed that they move, you know, with this kind of things. And that's why we still have the, what's the food pyramid or whatever it's called right. now is still there. And even with all the evidence against it, I think that's where a lot of it comes from. It's just that there was some uh, initial early studies and it's just now everybody thinks, well, protein's higher than the kidneys. Right. Right. And uh, it makes sense. The 0.8 grams per one pound of lean body mass, it, do you use that also for males as well or it, different uh, age groups? Well, males will naturally have more lean mass, right? Because right. they'll have more oh, muscle. That's true. Yes, uh, yes. And so that, you know, it adjusts based on that. And that's okay. generally what we do. And, and, you know, when we talk about macros and we think it's important to at least understand what your macros are or should be. And at least, you know, for a few weeks or month, track your macros just so you know what you're eating. Yes, um, especially people coming from, uh, you know, very obese, very metabolically damaged, you know, those people will almost always have leptin resistance. Mm-hmm. And so they don't get the same satiety signaling. And a lot of times they'll, you know, overeat and even eating nothing but carnivore. We get people a lot of times, uh, it's quite frequent that will come to us that are just eating too much fat and they're gaining weight because they're just not getting the I'm full signal. And so at least tracking for a couple of weeks or months to say, okay, this is about how much food equals this, because so many people don't know what's in their food. They don't know what protein and carbs and whatever is in their food. That gives you a baseline, right? Like, okay, I know about this much is what, you know, is going to give me enough protein. And that's, that's the key for us is we want to make sure everybody's getting a proper amount of protein for their body. And we call it the protein goal. And if they hit that protein goal every day, and they keep carbs to a minimum or zero. Now you just have fat, right? That's the only variable. And so then we adjust fat based on the goals. If you want to maintain, ramp the fat up some more. If you want to lose, wrap it down a little bit. If you want to break a stall, maybe wrap it down a little, even more for a day or two in a protein sparing day to force your body to use your own fat, body fat for fuel. That's the basic concept of what we do. Yeah. And and that makes sense in context. So hearing all of this, it makes sense. There's just some people in the carnivore space that will do protein spraying modified fast almost every day. And then yeah. I see hormonal issues coming into play or there are older women. So let, let's just say there's people that have been chronically dieting forever. And so their meta- metabolism is very low. And so they're trying to cut even more to lose weight. But yeah. now in order to lose so much weight, they have to really dial down that fat if they're trying to get the baseline of protein. Cause I agree with you. I think there's a, there's this trend right now that's super high fat and it's crazy because they're cutting the protein to yeah. amounts that are so dangerous. Get more fat. Yeah. I know it's so crazy. And I get it. Have some fat for hormones. I, I fully believe that yeah. too, but it's this fine toggling balance. And so I love that you say it depends on your goals. So what would you do yeah. with a person that maybe has hormonal issues? They've been under eating their whole life, but if they eat more fat, they may likely gain weight because they now cannot consume enough calories. Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Well, if they've been chronically under eating and have metabolic adaptation that's occurred, we would kind of do not a reverse dieting, but you okay. know, just make sure they're adding what we would call overfeeding days, mm. which are, uh, and this is something we recommend in general, which, you know, it's it, the community out there is kind of interesting. It's like we put out a couple of protein sparing books. As oh, yeah. And now people think we're nothing but protein sparing. I know. And I was going to ask you that question. Like, actually, we eat protein sparing every day or something. And it's like I've I've actually seen that in comments where somebody commented something not kind sense. about my wife, and it said, "Well, she 
she's just all protein sparing. That's why. Uh, that's why she's so thin. It's like she eats more fat than <laughs> most of you. Okay, she she's in maintenance. She eats tons of fat. I mean, she's just really active. She runs every day. She's on her paddleboard. She's always out moving. I, 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 don't, I don't get, you know, it, it, it's a little frustrating. It's like, oh, you're just nothing but protein sparing now. No, we've been keto for 20 years and we're not going to change from that uh, keto and carnivore. I completely understand that. And it's one of the, I think people just want to group, whether we're influencers or coaches or therapists. They want to say Craig and Maria are protein sparing modified fast. I actually think of you as like kid um, keto people. That's how like my vision <laughs> of you because uh, we we have children of the same age. You had a kids cookbook recently of keto based, yeah. so that that's like my mindset. Granted, there have been uh, protein sparing modified fast books, and so there are, are is some of that. But I don't think of you both as just the PSMF. But I do see the labeling. So, I mean, I'll put out something about higher fat and someone will say something, well, what about the Emmerich? So I, I do see it. I, I totally get it. And I think there are just people want to bucket us. But then if you listen to these conversations, you see you're not this one dimensional person. And I loved your keto book. You explained the science so easily so that the average person can understand it. And I loved it. And and so, and I've told that to Maria in person before. So I, I just think that it's unfair and I agree with you, but you can't fight the internet. You'll never win. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and again, it's all back to these terms, right? Like yeah. uh, there was a, uh, another influencer and again, okay. not here to name names or, you know, yeah. some yeah. of these people I, I get along great with and they're just doing different methods and that's fine. Sure. But they posted uh, the sticker. They're eating a stick of butter a day. That a thing that's kind of happening right now. And it was a day of food and it was like a stick of butter. It was this uh, certain amount, these meats that were going with it. And I was like, and it was one meal a day that uh, oh, they were doing. Oh. So I went, okay. I looked at it and I was like, okay, I'm going to throw this in chronometer quick. And I, I, you know, did a, you know, tried to do my best to estimate yeah, how yeah. much it was. And, you know, and it came out to like 2,400 calories. It was, you know, 140 grams of protein, 100 and I don't know, 60, 70 grams of fat or hundred, maybe 180 grams of fat. I'm like, for somebody, she was in maintenance. She's pretty tall. I'm like, that's normal <laughs> sure. for macros, you know, for macros, but I'm a protein sparing person and they're a super high fat person. And it's like, no, for somebody in maintenance, that's tall, that, you know, doesn't have any weight to lose. And I, would, say, yes. I would prescribe the exact same macros. I wouldn't prescribe the same diet. I, right, I would want right. to get you know, the fat from the animals. Those whole yes. cellular fats are just better. And versus of our fine fat, like a, you know, butter for me personally, it's better, you know, to just get the fat from the food, but the macros Agreed. themselves, I would have prescribed the same macros for that person. <laughs> it is interesting that this whole butter thing has come to play. And I've done a separate podcast on it. And it's just some of my clients are jumping on the bandwagon of the excess butter. And so we do uh, blood work on them occasionally. And a lot of them, their triglycerides are shooting through and they don't yeah. see that. So they just feel oh my gosh, I'm sleeping better yeah. through the night. Granted, there a lot of them are not even eating. Like if someone was eating 140 grams of protein, I would have no complaints if you're going to do yeah. the higher fat. You probably will gain weight, but otherwise I'm yeah. not going to complain. But a lot of them are actually reducing their protein. And some of them are in their 50s and 60s where you will be losing muscle mass already. But then they start eating maybe 50 grams of protein or yeah. 60 grams and then eating the sticks of butter or they're getting full off just the butter and not even yeah. adding the protein until maybe dinner. Dr. Donald Lehman just said to me that people over the age of 60, um, half of them uh, will never walk again because of a fall, yeah. a hip fall. Um, and then 33% yeah. of them will die uh, within the year of having that hip fall. And so even if keto is muscle sparing, I don't want to risk and say, I will trust oh. that this butter will carry me over and I'm not going to eat my protein amounts. I just think that's a, such a risk that. Absolutely. And especially like you say, when, as we age, there's a leucine curve shift, right? Yes. So you get a certain amount of leucine to trigger muscle protein synthesis and build, build muscle. And when you get older, it shifts. And so you need even more leucine. Right. And so thus even more complete proteins just to maintain your muscle. And if you go in the other direction, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a bad form of, yes, keto's muscle sparing to some extent, right. but it's not to an infinite extent, right? Like <laughs> there's, there's certain biological functions that require glucose and it, you know, red blood cells, they don't have my mitochondria. You need glucose to, to fuel them. Uh, your skin is constantly being replaced and shedded. So you need proteins and you need amino acids. Okay. 
And if the body is not getting enough through the diet, it's going to use what's available. And think about the body as a system. Where would it be the easiest to pull some protein and not cause too much problems? Your skin is constantly being shed and replaced. Like you don't replace some for a while and you're going to start having problems, right? Like you have like exposed areas. Organs, the body does not want to pull from the organs. Like not a... at all if possible, right? There's nothing good from taking protein from organs. So you're left with basically your muscle, which pulls some some out of the muscle, you're still fine. May may not even notice it at first, right? So it's going to take that protein, gluconeogenesis, it's going to get the glucose it needs, you know, fuel certain brain neurons and your blood, red blood cells and all that. That is what's going to happen. Whether you're in a keto state of, you know, that that does help with that, it doesn't totally mitigate it. (laughs) So protein is the most important macronutrient by far, in my my view. Have at least the baseline, the fundamental yes. amounts of protein. And there, if you need hormone support, then yes, like you said, it's the overeating days. And so I tell my clients, you're going to probably gain weight in the beginning working with me because I need you to hit the protein. And if you're trying to hit 70 to 80% fat on that level of basic protein, you may end up overeating. But over time, as you heal, then maybe we could dial down the fat. And I think when people just talk in percentages, it's just, these aren't numbers. So we don't even know how much protein you're consuming in a day. You just say you're eating 80% fat. What does that mean? If you're eating 1200 calories and a lot of the fats don't have the nutrition as the meats do in itself. So that's, I think of an important aspect too, is to not undervalue how much protein can help with healing. Okay. Yes. Fat uh, aspects that can help heal and all that, but put protein and, and, and fat from same, you know, a ribeye, separate the nutrition in the fat and separate the nutrition in the protein. And that protein is going to wipe out that fat every day, all the vitamins and minerals, right? And so what's important for healing? Amino acids for repair, if it's repairing something, vitamins and minerals to help your body heal and and, uh, get better. That's most of that's happening from the protein, you know? And so that I think, is a really important point. Yeah, I, I think the only part where I would also say the fat is important, I, I do agree that I think all of that is true. So all the amino acids, the nutrients, but let's say someone is super stressed and they're tapping on cortisol a lot. In, yeah. in order for your body to support the cortisol load, it will need the fat. And so it will use the cholesterol within your body, but over time yeah. it will try to produce as much cortisol as possible. And it will start pulling from your, the outer layer of your cells, which is made from fat. So if you have an abundance of fat in that way, but cortisol also pro- uh, needs B vitamins, which w- you, you would get from me. Yeah. So it's just this fine balance. These nuances yeah, aren't just discussed online as easily. Yeah, no, I totally, uh, and you know, the fat is, uh, important for a lot of things for example, again, back to the protein sparing thing. Yeah, yeah. If anybody read the book and the actual outline of what we say, <laughs> you know, they would never say the stuff they are is commented online about it, or never, like you said, we see people that are doing it every day. Like even on our macro calculator, we didn't give them a thing they could select where they just got protein sparing macros. If you select that option in our macro calculator, you get your keto macros okay. and your protein sparing macros because you're only supposed to do it maybe one to three days a week at mm-hmm. most. And then you go to your keto macros on the other days. And in our book, we talk about if you're doing two or three protein sparing days in one week, also add an overfeeding day that week, which is basically okay. maintenance calories, which would basically be you know just adding fat because we don't ever really add carbs in our protocols. So, you know, that, you know, I think that's important. And, and, and people, I think they think, well, one protein sparing day, yeah, we're pretty good. I'm just going to keep doing them. And, and then you get run into these other hormonal issues, yeah. that, uh, metabolic adaptation issues and all these kind of things. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It's very easy to find something that works and then say, it's just like fasting. If fasting works, then I might as well fast for seven days and I'll lose weight you're even faster. It. Yeah. Right. And it's, but yeah. then you're breaking down more muscle. And so, yeah. And then you're, what happens when you break down muscle, your lean mass goes down, your <laughs> BMR goes down and guess what? You need less calories now just to maintain, right. you know, that's just a vicious cycle. You mentioned while you were speaking that you said our bodies need a little bit of glucose. So a lot of the carb advocates will say, see, therefore, why make why make it so difficult for the body and eat, get the protein converted to glucose? Why not just eat carbs? Can you explain why we don't need the carbs to support our body? So the body's really good at making glucose. 
It can do it a couple different ways. Primary way is taking protein, gluconeogenesis turns it into glucose. You can also get a, a small amount of glucose from your fat cells, your triglyceride molecules, which is how your fat is stored in your fat cells. A triglyceride molecule is three free fatty acid molecules linked together with a glycerol backbone. And the first thing the body does when it wants some fuel, when you don't have enough carbs around, so, you, so you're, you're keto or carnivore, and it's going to tap your fat for energy because it doesn't have the glucose to tap. What it'll do is cleave off the glycerol and you got three free fatty acids. The cells love running on that fuel. So the free fatty acids go into the cells and get used for fuel. The glycerol, it can go to the liver and three glycerol molecules make a glucose molecule. Uh, I think it's a little less than 10% of energy as glucose from your fat stores, right? So that can mitigate, you know, some of the, the glucose uh, as well, but a lot of it's coming from turning protein into it. So if you eat enough protein, the body's going to use the protein in the diet to make glucose when it needs more glucose instead of using it off the body. There are some people that say that eating just carnivore makes them hypoglycemic. Um, maybe in the middle of the night, they're waking up in the morning, their blood sugar is really high. Is this an issue? And does that mean, I mean, I know you just said the body is really efficient at making glucose, but for yeah. these people, does it mean that they need carbs? So uh, there's a couple things going on there. You know, uh, I'd say there's probably two or three s situations that are happening there. The first I would address is, um, you know, when you're in the transition phase, you can have some more glucose excursions and things going on because the body is kind of switching from being a primarily glucose burner to primarily a fat burner. And there's some adaption process there. I would say beyond the adaption, you know, period, if you're still having those kind of issues, it could be one of two things, probably one of two or three things. One thing, it could be just dawn phenomena, mm -hmm. which, you know, cortisol rises in the morning to wake you up and, and that cortisol rise will dump some glucose from the liver into the bloodstream. And so your morning blood, blood uh, sugar can go up a bit. If you're not burning sugar as your primary fuel, the body's using fat. And so a little bit of glucose coming out, it's not really using too much of it. It can stay a little higher, longer. If you're a glucose burner, it would start, to, you know, it's all, you're basically only burning glucose. So a little rise, it immediately starts using it. So you don't really notice it as much as you do when you're keto or carnivore because you're not burning glucose as much anymore. So that could be one thing. Uh, what we typically tell people in that scenario is move a good, complete protein meal to earlier in the morning. Mm -hmm. And that will kind of drive the glucose down and be nice and uh, it'll be lower throughout the day then. As far as what was the first part about sleeping? Um, they sleeping or? Yeah. So some people will wake up in the middle of the night. Um, maybe uh, it's, it, it might be a transition yeah. though, but um, if yeah. they are, they just turn carnivore or maybe yeah. they've been it for a few months, but their sleep has just become dysregulated. Uh, yeah, that's usually a couple things. Number, uh, one of the things it can be is just, uh, especially if it's early is electrolytes. Mm -hmm. Uh, what happens is if somebody's, uh, getting dehydrated, uh, it, which, you know, you cut the carbs, carbs retain water. So yes. it flushes out the water when you cut the carbs out, which is good. You don't want the retained water, but with the water goes, uh, electrolytes. Uh, so you need to kind of be mindful and replenish them. Uh, we actually uh, see some good successful people that take some salt capsules before bed. So just a couple electrolyte tablets and they'll sleep much better in the evening. They won't get the urge to go up to go to the bathroom and those kind of things. It's, it can really help with sleep. Uh, and actually the people that do like a carb up or something before bed to help with sleep, it's doing the same thing. Oh, <laughs> I never thought about carbs, that. Carbs retain water, right? Right. So you add some carbs, it just helps you retain water for the evening, right? So we just add electrolytes instead. So I try to do the research of what is it about carbs at night that everyone says, oh, I sleep so much better. And then I saw something about how certain carbs will then support the facilitation of serotonin becoming melatonin. And I was like, maybe that's it. But I never thought about that carbs make you retain water, which then support your minerals more overnight. And that makes sense. Yeah. And also the, uh, it actually, to me, it's counter as well, because human growth hormone, it, uh, increases a couple hours after you go to bed. If you haven't eaten right before bed, if you eat right before bed, insulin's an antagonist to it. And so it'll, it'll reduce the effect and you want human growth hormone going up. Right. Uh, and, and especially when you sleep, it helps the body repair and everything. And so when you add those carbs right before bed, you're affecting that, which I think in the long term is going to 
affect you negatively as well. Yeah, I agree with that. So I always tell people when people say, oh, I just added carbs back and these are healthy, natural carbs. So they are whole food carbs and they're not bad. If you can tolerate it, fine. If you're metabolically yep. healthy, but I always say, give me six months to a year and tell me if it still has those beneficial effects. Cause I think people still initially feel better, but I just don't know if downstream they do feel the same. And it makes well, sense. I think the, the part two is you, know, you talked about carbs in general, as far as people needing them or not. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is adding them in is especially with people that we deal with that are very metabolically damaged, yes. very obese, very, you know, uh, insulin resistant or whatnot. Uh, it's the hormonal aspect of the carbohydrates and the psychological aspect of yes. the carbohydrates. When they add them in, we get so often the, you know, I was going to have one cupcake at no. this party. And six months later, I've gained all the weight back because I completely fell off the wagon with that one cupcake, right? That's what can happen. And and that's not, you know, that's not a metabolic, you know, like biology thing. It, it's psychological and hormonal. It's right. the body, you know, you get those hunger hormones start coming back, the cravings start coming back, the psychological aspects. I mean, all that starts to happen when you add a lot of those uh, carbohydrate foods back in. Yeah, I see that with my clientele, we have an intake form and we'll say, you know, have you done carnivore? Have you tried different versions? And I, we had a few, especially when fruit and honey was first coming into the space. Yeah. And some of them would say, I tried the fruit and honey and and then I fell into a full on binge. And now I'm basically eating mm-hmm. the standard American diet. And yeah. th- they got so desperate because they couldn't get back on. So they come yeah. to start working with us. And that's why I became so against sharing that because I think for most people that are desperate enough to try carnivore, they're sick enough that they can't handle that. If, if everyone could handle a fruit a day or a little bit of honey, we wouldn't be in the place we are in. Exactly. And, and of all the things too, with honey, for me, it's kind of (laughs) strange because, you know, there's such a stigma about high fructose corn syrup, right? Because it's high in fructose and the effects of that on the liver and well, honey's even higher in fructose. <laughs> yeah, it's very high in fructose. So, you know. I think it's because some people say that there's like antioxidants in it and there's certain like healing effects and the trace amounts that are the trace amount. I mean, if you put that on a chart, you would, yeah, no. Actually, I was thinking of uh, another chart I had made. Maybe I can uh, share, like, but that's for another time. Okay, okay. You know, as you're talking about some of the carnivore influencers, what's interesting is I know that there's also this, there's a few magic pill, interesting beliefs in the carnivore community that just the science goes out once you're carnivore. So calories don't matter. You can never gain weight on carnivore. Even if you gain weight, just keep eating. And then eventually your metabolism will regulate and you'll become thin again. Uh, you, you don't never need a fast because if it's carnivore, your insulin will never go up. It's, it's just these crazy things. And do you see some of these thoughts that then affect your clients all the time? You know, the ideas of like, you know, you're stalled, add more fat. Okay. You're still stalled or gaining, add more fat. And it's like, you know, and, and it really bothers me because these people need help. I know that is hurting them. And I, we even had a client, um, that came to us from some of that uh, type of information. And they were uh, like 140 pounds, uh, a man, fairly okay. tall. So very, very lean, right? Right. He's type two diabetic. And the reason is because his personal fat threshold was really low. Mm-hmm. Personal fat threshold is essentially, uh, you, uh, you probably heard this, that, you know, you make new fat cells when you're young and at a certain age, you stop making new fat cells and you just kind of fill up and shrink okay. the fat cells you have when you gain or lose weight. That leads to a situation where you, you have essentially a, a fat threshold, right? Where you can only fill your fat cells so full. And if you only have so many fat cells, once you fill the fat cells too much, they become insulin resistant. Mm-hmm. They say, reject insulin because I can't store any more fat in me. I'm too right. full. And so that's why you can get somebody's 100. And we've had women that are 105 pounds and raging type two diabetic, like out of control insulin and everything and glucose because they don't have hardly any fat cells, but they're all stuffed. And the body's like, okay, now where do you put the fat? If it sits in the blood, that's guy high triglycerides. Well, it starts pushing it into the organs, into the liver, into the pancreas. And it's like, you know, this total metabolic uh, dysfunction that happens, metabolic syndrome. Um, On the other end, we've had clients, we had one client 
he was 530 pounds, I want to say, wow. uh, when he started. His A1C was 5.4, and his fasting glucose was like 96. Wow. I believe he actually had a genetic uh, mutation or whatever that he could make new fat cells right. when most of us can't. And he would just kept making new fat cells as his body got bigger and bigger. And he metabolically didn't look diabetic at all. You know, it's crazy. But uh, anyway, back to the, the the topic there. This this man came to us. He was very lean, but type 2 diabetic. And knowing that your personal fat threshold, mm -hmm. the last thing that person should do is add lots of fat. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Where's the body going to put it, right? And so that's what this person was telling him. And guess what happened? His insulin started going up. His glucose he was like fasting glucose was up to like 200 and they just kept telling him to add fat because the body it's it's in fuel oversupply right, right. it's got all this fuel and it doesn't know what to do with it um and so because there's no place to store it like right. it, it would be normally and so we got him and his you know, glucose came way down his his uh, insulin came way down and, and what you're saying too on that um people think insulin has no rise with fat. I know. You, your insulin does go up when you eat fat. It's not as much as protein and not as much as carbs, but it does go up and it has to, because think about it. If you ate a bunch of fat and it comes into the bloodstream it, right now at rest, we're both kind of just sitting here. You've got maybe a hundred calories of total fuel in your blood. That's all the fat, all the ketones, all the glucose, a hundred calories. So you eat a thousand calorie meal. There's a lot of fuel coming in, right? And if the body doesn't store that off, you could die. You know, any of those too high, you, you know, alcohol, any of them, you die if you have too much in the blood. And so if insulin didn't rise when you ate fat and you had a thousand or even 200, 300 calories of fat coming into the blood, you'd have sky high triglycerides right. and, you know, threaten death if the body didn't store that away and put it in your fat cells. Right. And that's what insulin does. Yeah, it's a smaller rise, but it still stores away that fat. Yeah, I saw something from Dr. Ted Neiman a while ago where he said, I know a lot of people in the keto space don't think fat uh, triggers insulin at all, but it's yeah. just maybe a delayed effect. And so you may not see the rise in your CGM or any conversion of it. If you're waking up and you feel really full or certain markers are off in the morning, it's likely because you had an insulin effect from the fat that you, the over fat you're consuming. And that made so much sense because I do see people that are swearing they're just carnivore and their insulin's maybe at eight, which ideal is probably five. So yeah. I can, I can totally see that. that well, it's sense. two things. A lot of times in those cases, it's too much fat in the diet that the body is trying to deal with, with right. the insulin. And the other thing about insulin, people look at insulin as a storage hormone, and that's one of its jobs. But I also look at insulin as primarily, or probably maybe a bigger role is holding back fuel from your fat stores from flooding the bloodstream because again it's it's it doesn't want all that fat in the bloodstream it wants right. to keep it under control so it's almost like a net on your fat cells holding back uh the fat from flooding into the bloodstream um when when you have too much fat in the diet and it's now it's got that added load especially if you're got uh diabetes and you're insulin resistant now insulin's not working as well because of the insulin resistance you add a bunch of fat now it's got to deal with that and maybe there's some carbs too and now you, you get fasting uh, glucose that goes up because insulin has more stuff to worry about doing, including getting the fat stored away. And a lot of times those high uh, people that get a, a higher morning blood glucose, it's because they ate too much fat the day before. And so if you're eating no carbs and suddenly you get this, why, why did my glucose, my fasting glucose too high this morning? If you overate fat the day before, again, a bigger overall load on insulin to do its job, results in a higher fasting glucose the next day. I also see if people are eating, like, let's say they're eating a lot of dry jerkies and they just made it at home. So it's very lean meats and they eat a lot. Maybe they have a pound or two, a few hours before bed. I also see blood sugar go high up um, in that way too. Yeah. I mean, like we said, it's, uh, you need insulin to use protein yeah. too. So <laughs> there's definitely a load that will be put on the insulin. Again, especially if you're metabolic damage or insulin yes. resistant you know, anything that adds to that. But the, the key about that situation is that to reverse the insulin resistance, mm. you want to shrink the fat cells, right? Because the fat cells are insulin resi resistant because they got too much fat in them. So you need to shrink the fat cell a bit 
to re reduce the insulin res resistance of the fat cell. And then you want to maintain or grow muscle because that puts gives glucose someplace to go. Right. Right. So the more muscle you have, the more places the body has to put glucose. You know, eating the protein, like you said, yeah, it might have a, a short-term increase in fasting glucose. But in that case, I won't be as worried because you're going in the right direction. You're reducing your fat cells and maintaining or building muscle. Yeah, it, it'll be tricky for the average person, I think, to figure that out. Um, it's so many different nuances, but yeah. context is key. And again, what we we try to do is to stick with whole foods. Yes. And so instead of adding the stick of butter on top of the steak, just the fat that comes with the steak, you know, that kind of thing is a lot easier, I think. Yeah, and I think if anyone is doing the high fat and they feel really good. And when I say high fat, I really mean like the stick of butter, as you're mentioning, um, I would check your triglycerides because I have mm -hmm. seen enough clients where, especially if they also have an autoimmune. So I've seen some clients, their antibodies go up because maybe they're not able to tolerate that processed dairy. But the other thing is I'm seeing higher triglycerides because I don't think their body can handle that level of fat. And they're already somewhat insulin resistant. So it's just something to think yeah. about. Yes, trust your body. If you're feeling better, great. But also do yeah. some lab work to make sure that everything is moving in the right direction. Well, and especially the good point about the butter and the dairy, especially because you know, people with autoimmune disorders, people with people have Hashimoto's, you know, autoimmune thyroid. Yes. First thing we say is cut 100% of dairy right. and, and, and gluten, of course, which hopefully, you know, <laughs> not, we have no gluten in anything we do. But because, you know, people talk about gl gluten, which is a problem, but you know, more people have a sensitivity to dairy than gluten. Right. And so, you know, that's another component of it that, uh, you know, the stick of butter a day kind of thing is, is ne neglecting, I think. Yeah. And I I've seen that. I've seen that in my clientele, just, uh, where antibodies have shot up, they were maybe maintain maintaining at like 50 and now they're at like 350 and they yeah. would have yeah. never known, but we just yeah. pulled blood work on them and we see it. And then we asked them the dairy and what is the difference in your diet? And they said, I've added a lot of butter. And that's yeah. how we started seeing it. That was, that Very was common. the beginning of my concern of the, um, this butter fat that's been going on. Yeah, definitely. We see it all the time. And the number one thing Maria has always said with her clients for 20 years is if they're stalled, cut out dairy. It, it almost always helps with inflammation as well as weight loss. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, where can people find you? I know you have so many books. Are they all on Amazon? Do you have a site? I know you also do coaching and then you also have a practitioner program. If you could tell us a lot about yeah. all of it. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Ketomaria.com is the best place to go for okay. all of it. It just, we, I created that little web page just for like, the whole thing is like links to all of our stuff. Okay. You know, there's our blog is there where there's, thousands of free recipes and information. Uh, our keto-adapted.com is our website for like selling our eBooks and support mm -hmm. and coaching programs and all of that. Um, on bottom, we have links to all of our social media accounts. So ketomaria.com is a place to go to get to everything. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate just the candor. I, I love that sometimes when I I'm telling people in the carnivore space that what you're hearing is not always true, that you don't have to carnivore harder. It's not that you're yeah. using seasonings or that you're using coffee or that you really need this higher fat without the protein or that calories actually do matter. Um, yeah. People, I hear a lot of the negative talk to me, but I, I know just from working with people other than my N equals one. And I think you yeah. see the same and I, and I believe that's why you're so honest. So thank you so much. Thank you, Judy. I really appreciate that. I hope you enjoyed this interview. It was a pleasure to sit down with Craig. He took time out of his busy day to just chat with me. And we just talked a lot of real talk, as you can tell. I hope that this conversation really makes you think about a lot of the recommendations given to the wellness space. I know it's easy to follow someone that has a big follower account or that has an MD or some type of letters behind their names, but we have to always use our thoughts and our logic to think, does this recommendation work for me, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally? And if you're not in the same space, your same medical history, previous history with either disordered eating or mental illness or even obesity, then they might not be the right fit for you. That's when I think the clinical practice is so important. As much as I do so much research and write books, I do a lot of my recommendations for the online community based off of what I learned from my amazing clients. This is where I know the science 
hits the road to see if it works for the average real person. And for sometimes it just doesn't work as well. So I hope you take that into heart. And when you hear recommendations, even if they look like the most perfect person and live the best life, you just don't know if it will work for you. So I hope this conversation really just gives you that pause to think about things. And then to also know that if nutrition is not getting you to the A plus level of health, if you have been doing keto or carnivore or paleo or some type of really clean diet for a very long time, and you're still unwell, it's likely not the diet that's the problem. I hope that these conversations really give you tools and levers to help you get to root cause healing. For somebody, it may be Lyme. For somebody else, it may be chronic inflammatory response syndrome. For somebody, it could be heavy metals. We just don't know. But if we clean up the diet, we have a lot less noise to figure out what may be root cause if the diet is not enough. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you later. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.